Welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about sound, its power, its production, and its potential. I'm Jim Salverson, and on today's episode, we're looking at the psychology of sound with Afric Lennon from Massive Music, who is an expert in all things related to sonic branding, music psychology, and audio neuroscience. Plus, one of her many job titles is Music and Mind Researcher, which could be one of my favourite job titles ever. I came up with the idea for this episode of the podcast, talking to JP Hughes and Chris Stevens on our audio branding episode of Sound Business, Sound As Good As You Look, where we explore what sound can do for your brand and why it works so effectively. But we didn't talk so much about how exactly that works and what makes sound such a powerful tool for communication and delivering messages. Today, we're going to find out a little bit more about that side of things and actually how sound impacts your brain. If you're into the world of sound, audio, podcasting and voice, then make sure you're following this series because there's loads of great guests lined up for the next few weeks. And don't forget to check out some of the previous episodes as well on everything from how to make a chart-topping podcast with Sam Walker, the creator of American Vigilante, to the brave new world of audio NFTs. And you can't go on social media at the moment without spotting that NFTs are a big part of our digital future. But for now, let's get stuck into this. The psychology of sound. Afric Lennon from Massive Music. Where are you and how are you? Hi, Jim. Yes, I'm, I'm very well. I am in my new flat, actually, in southeast London. Just moved in this weekend. So very happy to be here. Very good. Happy housewarming or whatever it is you, you wish people <laughs> when they've just moved into a new house. Thank you very much for talking to us, to us today about the psychology of sound, a really interesting area that I've got to confess I know very little about. But I want to talk about your job title before we talk about the psychology of sound, because I think it's one of the coolest job titles I've heard. Music and mind researcher. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, very good question. Yeah, so my job, yeah, a part of my part of my job title is a uh, music and mind researcher or music and mind uh, strategist, as I'm we've been saying more recently. And really, I guess it kind of all stems back to my my background, which is I have a, an MSc in the psychology and neuroscience of music and sound. I studied at Goldsmiths to do that. And before then, I had did an undergrad degree in um, human health and disease, kind of specializing in neuroscience. So with all of that kind of background, I, I joined Massive Music, as you mentioned, about four and a half years ago. And Obviously, Massive Music is a global creative music agency specializing in lots of different music services. But one service that we you know, are seeing a lot more of these days is, is sonic branding. And, and my mm. role at Massive Music as music and mind strategist, music and mind researcher is all about linking the psychology of sound and what we know about the impact that music has on the brain, linking that to our sonic branding work and the, the music that we compose for our clients um, and for all the brands and organizations that we work with. So really understanding how can we leverage what we know about the impact that music has on the brain to make sure that the music and the, the sonic brands that we do create for our clients are really impacting the audience ultimately and really benefiting our clients and the brands that we work for. Well, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about audio being this brilliant tool for communication and a great way to deliver messages and emotion and whatnot. So I'm hoping we're going to dig a little bit deeper today on why that is the case. We don't often focus on the why very often, but I guess an interesting place to start for me is as I talk from like a physical perspective, 
what actually is happening in your brain now? Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, do you want the, the short answer or the long answer? It's a um, medium option. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of how our brain processes audio uh, and, and processes sound, it's actually a highly kind of complex process, as I'm sure you can imagine, involving multiple parts of the brain. And in terms of, of in terms of what, what what's happening when we kind of first receive sound or music, it kind of passes through our ear of course and is is kind of translated and actually kind of converted into neural messages in the brain and that's all kind of transmitted to the auditory cortex which is a part of the brain that processes things like pitch and tempo and tone but actually the the interesting thing is that music and sound don't actually just light up one or or two parts of the brain and music in particular activates many different parts of the brain so things like the limbic system so the system that governs our emotions the memory system our motor system which is why we kind of dance and and move to music it also impacts our visual cortex so actually um, the visual visual side of the brain sensory cortex how we feel how we actually feel you know the, the the physical energy of music so it's a really highly complex process that I won't, I'm not going to go into the uh, <laughs> the essay, the kind of 10 page long diagram of, of, of where, you know, what, what's happening in the brain. But but it, yeah, it's, it's a highly complex process involving multiple parts of the brain, starting from the kind of stemming from the auditory cortex and then uh, from there, yeah, moving into many different parts of the brain. Do we know why it lights up all those different parts of the brain? Is there a reason for it? And do other senses do similar things? Do you get the same experiences in your head when you see something or when you smell something? Yeah, it's a good question. I couldn't give you a scientific answer for, for why why it lights up so many parts of the brain. In terms of how it compares to other senses, we know that sound and music definitely impact more parts of the brain than something like visuals, for example, which is why, mm. and I think this might link to some other topics we might discuss today but which is why we know that sound tends to kind of get stuck in our head and sound tends to kind of trigger is a really powerful trigger of recall um, when we think about working with brands and so yeah in terms of how it compares to other senses it seems to be the yeah the sense that kind of activates the most amount of parts in the brain one of the things that blows my mind about thinking about how sound works is that so much of the process is a physical process in order for something to make sound there has to be movement and it travels to our ears via the movement of air and sound waves and then even when we receive that it's tiny bones in our body that are moving again and the fact that every part of that is kind of a physical thing rather than necessarily a kind of I don't know sight I guess which isn't is processing light waves that pickles my head slightly every time I think about that Um, I do want to talk about as you mentioned why things get stuck in our head and why sound impacts recall because I think sounds often referred to as this passive medium something we do the same time as something else we'll listen to music whilst we're doing something else we'll enjoy a podcast whilst we're doing something else at the same time we know that lyrics to a song for example can get stuck in your head or often subconsciously why does that happen Another question that I'm sure there's a lot of <laughs> music psychologists and, and academics currently kind of looking into further, but there's a few reasons why it happens or why research tells us it happens. First of all, we know that the human brain actually reacts to sound 0.03 seconds faster 
than to visuals. So it not only does it, you know, impact more areas of the brain and kind of process kind of deeper levels of the brain. It also, we also know that we react to sound faster than we do visuals. And in terms of thinking about why certain lyrics or why certain songs get, get stuck in our head, and um, this idea of kind of earworms and, and people talking about, you know, oh, that, that, that melody is sticky. It's a really kind of interesting phenomenon that has also been researched quite a lot, both by academics at Goldsmiths, where I studied, um, and some others as well. There was a really interesting study that looked at earworms and, you know, uh, it was actually quite a large study, I think, of over over 3000 people who were asked to kind of input, you know, the most popular songs that they thought that they could not get out of their head. I think there was a lot of kind of Lady Gaga in there and they, they analysed the commonalities between those songs and the um, yeah the, the structure and the, the contour of those of those songs and tracks. And what they found was that, interestingly, the melodies and, and songs that, that, that tend to be most sticky or tend to, you know, become earworms are actually quite simplistic in their melodic structure. So they tend to kind of have quite simplistic shapes where the melody maybe goes up and comes back down again and resolves. You know, you might think of the classic kind of nursery rhymes, twinkle, twinkle, little star mm. and the contour of that and how, you know, actually the, the, sometimes the simpler the melody, the more likely it is to get stuck in your head. And, and that was something that that, that that study found. I guess there's also a cultural element as well to why sound really does have the ability to cut through more. You know, if we think about the era that we're living in, we're kind of being bombarded with an onslaught of visual media before we've even had our coffee sometimes first thing in the morning we, we've been kind of bombarded with media from scrolling through our phones scrolling through the news so you know i think that there's definitely a cultural element to this as well where sound has the ability to cut through that noise and for that reason you know can be a lot more me- memorable than something like visuals i guess the last thing i would say is the other reason why you know sound is, is, is sticky and, and has the, the ability to impact recall so much is that it doesn't just coming back to the first point it doesn't just impact you know one or two areas of the brain it's actually impacting the memory centers of the brain both conscious and subconscious alongside the emotional center of the brain the limbic system and and that combination of memory plus kind of a connection to to a specific mm. emotion makes it a very powerful powerful medium it's all really interesting and really clever stuff but why is that relevant to brands and the work you do with Massive Music in terms of getting them to understand the approach they take to sound. Why is it relevant and how does it work from that point of view? The interesting thing is that it has been relevant forever, really. But I think the reason why brands are, you know, really waking up to the the power of, of sound as a branding tool and as a marketing tool again comes back to this kind of cultural context over the past few years not only you know are we dealing with this kind of crowded media landscape but we're also moving into an era where we're relying less on visual media you know a lot more people are using things like alexas and google homes we're listening to our airpods where podcast consumption has grown massively so the audio only platform as well as things like tiktok which are you know you know, this idea of sound on consumption of media means that, you know, sound is kind of no longer a kind of a nice to have as part of your marketing or your branding strategy. And actually 
is an essential part of, of the marketing strategy and, and how what I know about the science of sound and music links to that and what, what the relevance is I mean I think it's really all about just being able to to leverage that to leverage things like what we know about recall and the this, you know sound's ability to become recallable to leverage things like what we know about how sound can impact emotion and mood and be able to kind of use that as part of a sonic branding strategy and as part of a strategic approach to music for for the clients that we work with. So when I'm working with clients on, on a sonic branding project or on any kind of music strategy project, we're always thinking about, you know, when we are creating music, when we are creating sonic logos, for example, how can we ensure that what we create is is grounded in the brand's personality, really reflects who they are? How can we ensure that we are hitting, we are creating music or sounds that is actually positively affecting people's emotions? Mm. And also, how do we ensure that we create sounds that are sticky <laughs> and memorable mm. so that actually, you know, you're not just providing assets that, you know, are too complex to remember or are, you know, are, are not kind of cutting through enough for, for our clients. So, so yeah, it's a really interesting cross-section between the, the science and actually the practical application of that so that brands and marketeers can really benefit from, from the power of sound. You mentioned how music can influence mood there. And I know at Massive Music, you've done a load of work with the connections between music and mental well-being as well. How does that work? Is it a case of just listening to music lifts our mood or are there certain frequencies that can make us feel certain ways or act in certain ways? And does all that come into your thinking when you are developing these sonic identities for brands? Yeah, the, the effect that music can have on our mood is, is a really interesting area. And yeah, you're, you're right. We have done quite a lot of work on this at Massive Music. When I joined four years ago or four and a half years ago, we, we started an initiative called Music and Mind, which was focused on, OK, we spend every day at Massive Music leveraging music and sound to improve brands and to improve, you know, brands marketing. How can we take what we know about the benefits of music the, the actual health benefits of music and sound and kind of apply these both within our company but also within our kind of talent pool and, and and for consumers as well so that's been a really great initiative and we've done quite a few workshops around the power of music to lift our mood to lower anxiety obviously there's a lot of work around how music can impact people with memory loss people struggling with dementia and in terms of yeah you know, everybody, I think, I think the interesting thing about how music impacts our mood is that everyone knows if you're feeling a bit crap, you put on music that maybe might be your favorite album or it might be whatever, an ambient playlist that, that that can really, really improve things. But nobody really, everyone kind of tends to do it without without really thinking about it or thinking about why. And yeah, there's some really interesting mechanisms that, that happen. So for example, if you think about Let's say you wake up in the morning and you're feeling a little bit stressed. Uh, your heart rate might be and your breathing rate might be a little bit faster than normal if you're feeling anxious and stressed. And what music can what the right kind of music can do at lower tempos is actually it's something called entrainment, which is kind of a fancy word for how our internal physical systems sync to external stimuli. So there's some really interesting research around actually our ability to yeah synchronize with with music so if we play slower tempo music you know anything from kind of 100 bpm to kind of 80 bpm 
this actually allows and entrains and syncs with our internal our internal organs so things like breathing rate and heart rate have been shown to actually reduce to match that of the external external music and you'll see that obviously the same impact happens when you want to if you want to do a workout or you're out out for the for, out for the night in the club and you're listening to fast-paced music it's almost impossible not to dance or not to move along to that music so that's um, something called entrainment and that's a really powerful tool when it comes to kind of music for your mental health in terms of like how you know using music to I guess influence your mood there's really interesting research out there around the congruency of music so you know it might be interesting to think about why do we listen to sad music when we've had a breakup like why wouldn't we listen to something happy to try and improve our mood but always people tend to kind of go straight to the most depressing album mm. in their on their spotify <laughs> or whatever and it, it kind of seems crazy but actually what, what research has shown is that people prefer and actually are more positively impacted by music that matches your mood so let's say if you are sad listening to sad music can actually improve your mood because the music is seen almost like as if it's an empathetic friend so the music can almost reflect how you're feeling and then help you kind of process that or, or move through that so yeah, that, that's just a few thoughts on uh, music and mood, but I could probably go on for about three hours on that one. <laughs> Is the way people react to music pretty uniform in terms of like I say certain places or certain frequencies or wherever it is because I think about the way people react to sound something like for example scraping nails down a blackboard which some people hate some people are indifferent to or ASMR which is something that some people react very positively to and some people just don't really feel any reaction either way so when you're working with a brand and they want to say for example elicit a certain response from an audience when they hear their music do you just do you just assume that everyone will react with that the same way or is it you go for the largest denominator how does that work yeah it's a really good question Jim yeah I think it would be kind of silly or ignorant of of, of us to think that everybody reacts to every single sound in the same way you know we know from research and and just from our own experience that uh, you know really good example there with the ASMR example that, that this just isn't the case obviously you know there are variables that come into this you know like taste and personality and what music did you listen to growing up what kind of emotional connotations do you have to familiar sounds that maybe might re- re- remind you of, of of something either negative or positive so there are like tons of tons of variables that come into play which mean that not everyone reacts to sound in the same way so yeah it is a really interesting challenge when, with the work that we do I think what is interesting is that although there is a lot of variance and nuance in how people react to kind of specific sounds or, you know, specific, especially when it comes to maybe more extreme sounds like grating your fingers on a chalkboard, etc. What we do know is that people tend to respond fairly universally to, to music. So, yes, there are variances in genre that might, you know, that might affect certain cultures might respond better to certain genres depending on what's popular at the time but fundamentally we know that people tend to respond fairly universally to music when it comes to identifying whether it's happy or sad when it comes to you know that experience and actually we do uh, quite a lot of market testing with our sonic branding clients before we launch a sonic identity so after we've composed the music and after we've kind of come to a, a final piece with or a sonic logo with the client quite often now clients are asking for you know a little bit more rigor behind making that decision so we do quite a lot of market testing of the sonic logos or the sonic dnas that we create and what we're finding is 
a lot of our clients are saying, okay, we need to target, you know, 18 to 25 year olds in Japan, or we really need to understand, you know, our target market in Germany. And the interesting thing is that actually the, the results, while there is some variance, there's usually fairly universal response to, to the sonic identities that we test, no matter what the audience, no matter what the, the age which is interesting because obviously taste comes into things and, and, and you would expect that it would vary hugely. But because music is quite universally understood, it doesn't tend to vary hugely in terms of our work, in terms of creating mm. sonic logos and DNA tracks. What questions are you asking during that testing? Are you asking people for their emotional response to stuff or is it just a case of, do you remember this or how, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, it, it varies and it depends on the client's kind of unique brief and, and challenges and, and needs. but. The typical kind of things that we would cover, uh, and we work with some great research partners on this, but the typical things that we would cover would be for a sonic logo, we would test recall, actually, which is which is interesting. So we would play, you know, the sonic logo that we're testing for an audience, and then we would take the audience through the survey. And then at the very end of the survey, we would replay it. But this time next to, let's say, three or four distractor sonic logos and ask them to identify, you know, which is the one that you heard, whatever, 20 minutes ago. Um, And that's a really interesting test because that can kind of in some way predict how likely the sonic logo in question is to, to is to be able to kind of build up that recall and recognition when it's in market and really start to work hard for our clients and their media. The other thing that we test is brand, you know, how closely does the sonic logo or the, 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 the DNA track fit the brand's personality? So, you know, are we communicating the brand's unique personality? Let's say they're a fintech brand that have, you know, that are kind of innovative and um, bold and progressive. Uh, you know, we, we will actually play the assets for the audience and ask them to rate some of those attributes and, and so that we can understand, are we communicating the brand's message and the brand's personality? And then we also ask about appeal, which is interesting because, you know, there is, I think the jury's out on whether it's super important for a sonic logo to be really appealing. You know, sometimes mm. it, it doesn't need to be like the most appealing sound. It just needs to not annoy people. <laughs> so often with that test, we're looking to make sure that nobody's saying, oh my God, I that sound is so annoying. I can't listen to it again. Or, you know, oftentimes it's more of a risk management thing and making sure that it's not grating on people. That's usually the most important thing. But yeah, they, they would be other th- one last thing that we sometimes look at is uniqueness as well. So you don't want to create a sonic identity that sounds like something else, but that reminds people of another brand. And, and luckily, you know, a big part of our process before we even get to creating music is scanning the market and looking at other people's sonic identities to make sure that we are avoiding kind of market trends, make sure that we are really kind of carving out a white space for the brand sound. But yeah, sometimes we test uniqueness within our market testing as well. Just to take the example you gave there with the fictional fintech brand, I think probably most people who have worked in audio or with audio in some capacity will have selected music for a campaign or a project, for example, probably library music rather than necessarily making something bespoke. And they would have done it purely on feel for something that felt right. So, for example, if I was picking a piece of music from a library to accompany a wine advert, I might go for something classical. If it was trainers, I might go for something kind of urban and hip-hop. What are the considerations? Because that that feels very much wine, classical, 
trainers urban is kind of like it's a it's a product identity i guess more than a brand identity i'd be considering there so what are your considerations when you're working with a brand what are you trying to get across when you're building their audio identity yeah it's it's interesting the kind of the comparison between kind of campaign focused music selection versus brand focused music creation mm. or, or or curation and and really like you know the processes aren't wildly dissimilar uh, obviously the sonic branding process is very quite rigorous can take you know anything from 3 months to sometimes 9 months or a year and and i think that yeah the difference in terms of like those processes really is the depth that we would go to in terms of understanding the brand um so right from the beginning of a of a sonic identity project we are we're interviewing stakeholders across the business to understand you know historical facts about the brand to understand exactly what their culture is like who they are what they represent we're conducting a whole load of you know as i said kind of competitor analysis looking at other brands in the sector that we can be inspired by and and what we're doing is really looking to build a picture of that brand in as much detail as possible so that we can remove that subjectivity and so that we can really define a brand's kind of core identity in sound because obviously as we know especially from this conversation music can be highly subjective and people's kind of tastes and influences can come come into it so you know the last thing you want to do is just kind of end up with a sonic brand that sound that is you know indie rock because the cmo loves indie rock and right. you know that's that's and, and you know and everyone kind of just nods and there we are and we land and actually indie rock has zero kind of connection or does not represent who the brand is or how they should be standing out in the market so yeah that phase one is all about kind of getting under the hood of of the brand and who they are and then as well as the market and coming up with a really robust strategy around you know what their kind of sound identity is, but also, you know, how that should be rolled out on, on what touch points. And oftentimes we we come up with like an overarching creative concept as well to really kind of make sure that the sonic identity is grounded in in something that no, no other brand could own. So, for example, one of our clients, Philips, we created their sonic identity quite a few years ago now. But the, the creative concept that we came up with for Philips was we decided to audiate the, a light bulb. So Philips's first ever product when they launched was they started out by selling light bulbs. So we mm. decided, well, let's, you know, crush up, uh, break up a light bulb and create an instrument out of it. And that that has been where all of Philips sounds have in their sonic identity has stemmed from. And that means that no other brand can sound like that because they're not able to kind of replicate the sounds of a light bulb. So different things like that are, you know, is kind of our focus is in really kind of defining and developing a unique sound that, that, that cannot sound like any other brand, really. I want to go back to something that we talked about a few episodes on this podcast ago. We spoke to John Paul Hughes from Mindfield and it's an episode all about audio branding called Sound As Good As You Look. If you want to go back and check that out, you can. And he spoke about the speed at which the brain processes sound and how the reason they start a 100 metres race with a bang and not a flash is because of the processing speed the brain has when it hears something. Why is that important when it comes to making an impact with audio? Uh, I think it all, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. I think it all kind of comes back to, we think about attention span and when we think about our audience, when it comes to audio branding or using music on your marketing campaign, you know, we know that we have very little time to not only grab somebody's attention, but also retain it. 
And so I think the fact that music and sound can reach in the brain and impact the brain faster than something like visual visual media and can kind of be processed so quickly means that even if you're you're walking out of your house on a Monday morning and you're in a rush and the radio's on and you're you know you're at your front door but you hear the McDonald's Sonic logo as you're leaving that's impacting you subconsciously and that's that they're the kind of moments that you wouldn't you just couldn't expect or um experience through other forms uh, other senses and through things like visuals so yeah I think that that's that's a, one reason why it's really important and and especially as I said in today's kind of era where a lot of people's attention span has decreased massively and people are people get bored you know even scrolling on your phone sometimes you know I'm I know I can see it myself like I start watching a video and <laughs> 10 seconds in I don't even have the attention span to finish to the end I'm, I'm done I, I move on and it's kind of crazy you know we've just social media has meant that we're just consuming yeah so much more much quicker and, and our attention span has decreased a lot so sound having that edge on visuals and being able to impact us you know faster and and, and um and in that way means that it should be really a no-brainer when it comes to yeah a brand's approach to to branding and marketing this is all really interesting stuff Afric how do we know it works? I mean, the example you gave with Philips and the light bulb is really cool. It's a great idea. And I can see how from a marketing perspective, that's a brilliant story to tell. And it all plays a part. I know it's not just about the fact that someone who's your average consumer isn't going to hear a bit of audio and go, oh, that's a light bulb. I understand that. But it kind of all feeds into the same thing. But how do we know that this approach with audio works, that building a brand and an audio identity is actually effective and worth the investment? Yeah, the interesting thing and the exciting thing is that up until, you know, very recently, there was actually very little data out. Well, there was, of course, data out there to say that audio branding is, is a powerful tool and that we know the we can understand the power of audio. But very few brands were actually, you know, tracking the impact of that and, and very few mm. brands were, you know, able to kind of make that measurable. But excitingly, in the past kind of year or so, we've actually at Massive Music, we've developed a framework to help our clients to actually track the impact that their sonic identity is having for their brand after they've launched. So we worked on a framework that basically, you know, brands can kind of add on to their existing brand tracker, really, and start to look at, right, well, actually, what what impact is this sonic identity having? How quickly are people building recognition of this sound? How is that recognition of the sound impacting how they're perceiving our brand? Um, even in the early days of, of doing this from a few of our clients, we're already seeing some really promising results of looking at you know everything from how quickly the sounds are kind of becoming recallable or recognizable for that brand to also looking, seeing results of how actually the sonic brand is is improving equity f for other brand elements so actually we're seeing results for some clients where the sonic brand is also improving the equity of, of other branded elements such as visual logos etc so wow. so yeah it, it's really it's a it's an exciting time in the world of data and <laughs> data and music as dry as that sounds but um it is because <laughs> i think for a long time it was kind of like here you go you know here's your sonic identity and of course we you know the process that we that we undergo to develop a sonic identity means that you know everything is kind of designed to to ensure that it that it does provide impact anecdotally you know a few years ago we knew that it did from our clients and from our experience for the last 20 years but being able to 
tangibly measure that now and start to see those results coming in is is yeah is exciting and really just proves the value of of the work it's a fascinating area and you're right it's exciting at the moment i could talk to you all day about it I, but <laughs> i appreciate you've probably got other things to do so i just want to finish with three tips that you give someone who is looking to either put the psychology of sound into practice in a tangible way with their brand or who is considering maybe taking a step into this area who hasn't got an audio identity who hasn't kind of explored that aspect of their brand marketing what would be your three pieces of advice or three things to consider yeah so i think i mean very hard to kind of come down to just three tips but um (laughs) i think one thing i would say is you know Sonic branding is all about focusing on the long term uh, with sound and it can seem like something that, you know, you might want to tackle further down the line or that it seems like quite a long process that might take a while to to kind of reap the rewards. But I think focusing on the long term and trying to shift thinking from short term campaign focused music strategies into longer term uh, sonic identities is a really important one to consider and having creating a longer term sonic strategy or a sonic identity can really mean the basis for a lot more flexibility and a lot more creative flexibility when it comes to things like campaigns and uh, and anything any other kind of uh, yeah touch point so I would say focus on the long term and, and 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 really think about investing in that process and you will reap the rewards secondly I would say that this idea of you know, universality in music is really important to remember. So try not to worry too much about focusing on targeting, you know, certain audiences with your music, because from research, we know that at its core, music is universally understood. So if you can really link your sound to your brand and really ground it, you know, a lot of brand insight, then that's a lot more powerful than being able to, than be, you know, than, be, than trying to kind of target a certain audience. And then finally, I think, you know, it's probably maybe similar to my first point, but just really remember the importance of music and sound early on, you know, whether that's kind of considering it earlier on in your campaign brief or whether that's, you know, considering uh, how consistent you're being with your sound, um, your brand sound. Just try and consider music earlier on in the process and uh, higher up on, on the list. So they'd be my, they'd be my three tips. Hopefully they're uh, <laughs> they're useful. Afrik, really nice to speak to you about the psychology of sound. Thank you for your time. I have no doubt that people listening to this podcast will want to see more of your work and obviously hear more of the work of Massive Music as well and what they've done in this area. Where can they go to find that? They can head to our website if they want. So massivemusic.com where you will see uh, all of our work and uh, you can see contact details as well on there. So yeah. And I'll put a link to that in the episode bio along with Afric's social tags as well so you can find her. Should you have more questions, and I'm sure you will, about the psychology of sound. Afric, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of VoiceWorks Sound Business. If you're interested in every element of audio and sound production, then make sure you listen to all the episodes so far in this series and click that follow button wherever it is you're listening to get the next episodes as and when they're ready. As mentioned, the link to Afric's work and the work of Massive Music you can find in the episode description where you'll also find the link to the VoiceWorks website, which is the best way to get in touch with the VoiceWorks team and find out how we can help you make the most of audio in your business. Audio strategy, audio branding, anything else to do with sound, get in touch. We'd love to chat and I'll speak to you next time on the next VoiceWorks Sound Business. Oh,